Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church. Happy Valentine's Day for those who are so inclined to celebrate that. (laughs) Um, Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we want to come before you this morning as your children and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Father, for your kindness and grace your justice and your righteousness, your power. And we thank you, Father, that you've sent your Son, Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he went to the cross and died for our sins. Father, we want to thank you for that sacrifice. We want to thank you that you raised him from the dead on the third day. We want to thank you, Father, that you have set it up so that it's simply by believing the good news about your Son that we are saved. Father, today we ask that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct our hearts so that we participate in and receive the blessings that you have provided today in this, in this service. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, we're going to have a couple of songs. You can stay seated. You can sing from there um, and just relax. Because I'm going get, to get in on the message today. So this is your time to relax. Well, good morning again, everyone. As you know, every month we uh, support and feature a different missionary or missionary organization. And this month it's Pastor King Ziemaniki. He's visited us in the past. Uh, He now lives in Canada. He uh, comes from West Africa, where where he still provides um, support and direction for several pastors in that region. We again ask that you pray for him. And if you have the means to do so and the desire in your heart to support him, remember you can always... uh, provide the, uh, the funds to us, and we'll make sure that they are sent um, to Pastor Kingsley. So please keep him in prayer. All right. Oh, I wanted to read you just a brief note that we received from um, Grace Bible Church Pakistan, from Pastor Fazil and Carrie John. They're very appreciative, and they write that they, are, they want to just send this note of gratitude for your generous support and prayers that bring life and light to the people of Pakistan and beyond, especially now. It's always great to hear from the, the different missionaries and the, when they ask and express their gratitude, it means a lot. So I wanted to pass that on to you. All right, the title of today's message comes from first, I mean, from John chapter 1. And I'd like you to turn there now. Just please turn to John chapter 1. We're going to start again in verse 1 as we, as we began our series on the Gospel of John last week. Um, so please turn to John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll have a brief introduction to that. John chapter 1, verse 1. Give you a reminder of your homework assignment, in case you didn't remember. Um, again, the title of today's message, The True Light. The True Light Enlightens Every Man. I want you to just remember that it's important for us to be reading the Gospel of John from start to finish. I'd like to see if you can do it four times in the next four weeks. It's one of the longer books in the New Testament, so this is I've broken it up so that it's uh, manageable. Obviously, you're free to read as much as you want, but for those of you that would like to just break it up, I put it here in a weekly format, seven days. That means when you're done, you can go back and start again. Um, it's uh, day one, or right now, right now, John 1, 1 to 18. Well, you can read it, right? John 1, 19 to 454 and so on. Um, this is on the website now. 
Uh, if you went to last week's message now, there's a hyperlink and you can go and see that. We're also going to do the same thing today. Um, that way you'll have it, you know, that way you don't have to take notes necessarily right now, though it doesn't hurt, but you'll have it available so that you can, people have already asked for that um, to be posted, so we're doing that. All right, so last Sunday, we ended by listing five things that we learned about the Word, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. We learned five things, remember, in the first four verses that we covered last week. Now remember, this gospel, much of it is devoted to answering this one question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And again, we've already seen answers in the first five verses. Let's begin together in John chapter 1, verse 1. This is a review, but let's get, go through this and then we'll pick things up at the end of verse 4. John 1, 1. In the beginning, that's eternity past. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, the Word. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him, in the Word, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Again, we learned five things about the Word in these first four verses. We learned that He has always existed. We learned that He's always with God. And He is God. We learned those things. He's always existed. He's always with God. And He is God. That's a tremendous amount of information to be put in one verse. Because it's really talking about the deity of Christ. The fact that He's existed from all eternity. He is eternal life. He's always with God. Now that tells us that there's a, there's a um, difference in some respects between the Word and God. As, as we say sometimes there's two persons, right? Two people. But yet He is God. He's, there's one God and, and the Word is God as well as God. God the Father is God. And as we'll see later on in the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit also is God. So there we call, we say that sometimes three persons in one God. And that's taught here. All of that is taught in verse 1. As we move along, though, we also find in verse 3 that he, oh, he is the creator. Come on now. He is the creator of all things. Everything. Everything in the heavens and on the earth. Now, again, we heard echoes of the book of Genesis, chapter 1. In the beginning, God. And now we hear, in the beginning was the Word. And then, of course, the Word is God. And the Word is the, is the means by which all things were created. All things were created through the Son of God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then He's the source of life. He's the source of all life. Physical life, because if He created all life, He's the source of it. But also, as this Gospel will reveal, He is also the source of eternal life. And that will be the subject of so much. Remember when we looked at chapter 20, verse 31, as our introduction, that that was the purpose. And these signs have been given so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have what? Life in his name. Life. He came to bring life. So we'll continue now with verse 4b in a moment. And we're going to see one other thing about the word today. Just one, but such an important one. The Word is also the light. He's always existed. 
He accompanies God. He's always with God. He is God. He's the creator of all things. He's the source of life. And he is the light. And we're going to see what that's all about today. What does it mean that the word is the light? All right. So that sets us up for today. Matter of fact, this week and next week, we're going to look at the word. Because from verses 5 to 13, they all present what's called the coming of the light. The coming of the light. The word has always existed, but there was a time in human history where the light came to earth. And that's going to be the subject of most of the rest of what we call the prologue here. In chapter 1, verses, verses 1 through 18, that's called the prologue. But 5 to 13 talk about the coming of the light. And it's interesting because when we get there, within 5 to 13, when we get to verse 6 and we look at 6, 7, and 8, it appears at first glance that we've taken a detour. What does that mean? Because it means that we were looking now at the fact that John the Baptist comes on the scene. And you might say, wait, wait a minute. Here we have this amazing, glorious information about the Word, that He's always existed, that He's God, that He created all things, that He is the light, and then John the Baptist. And it seems kind of jarring. Why would John the Baptist be placed right here? We're going to see, however, that the witness of John the Baptist is really, really important. It's fundamental to the, to the presentation of the light. We're going to see that. It's mentioned in all four Gospels, mentioned in the book of Acts. Sometimes we, maybe we don't treat John the Baptist quite as important as he really is in this whole story of God revealing the light, revealing his son, first to the nation of Israel. And we're going to see that John, John the Baptist, his role was to reveal the identity of Jesus Christ to the nation of Israel. We'll see that this morning as well. Preview of coming attractions. All right, let's begin now in verse 6. Continue, rather, in verse 6. John 1, 6 through 13. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He, the light, God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was in the world. And the world was made through him. We saw that in verse 3. And yet the world did not know him. One of the great mysteries, tragic mysteries of human existence is when God's Son, the creator of all things, us, comes into the world, the world didn't recognize him. In fact, the world, by and large, the world rejected him. All right, we'll see that. His own people rejected him. It's a tremendous indictment of the human race when you think about it. Didn't recognize their creator. All right. Verse 11, he came to his own. We'll see that's the Jewish people, the nation. And those who were his own, who should have above everybody recognized him because they had the benefit of the prophets in the Old Testament and indeed the entire Old Testament that gave so much information that Jesus Christ fulfilled and yet his own nation, his own people, they rejected him, did not receive him. But as many as received him, and that's always a small minority, by the way, it was true in the, in the times of Israel. It's still true today. All right? There's a small minority. We call it the remnant. That's a, particularly, that's a particularly Jewish name. That's a name for the Jewish, you know, the small subgroup, as it were, of Jewish people who, who believed in Christ. 
who believed in the Lord in the Old Testament, Christ when he was here, and then even now there's a remnant. There's always Jewish people in every generation who believe in Christ. As a matter of fact, we have some in our congregation. We support a Jewish ministry to the Jewish people. So there's always a remnant that God has preserved. That is because he wants, he's going to fulfill all his promises to the nation of Israel. All right. He came into his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he, the word, the light, the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who are the ones who become the children of God? Are they the ones that work hard? Are they the ones that do all kinds of good works? No. They're simply those who believe in the name and the person, the identity, the person and work of Jesus Christ, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. Okay, let's return now to verse 4, where we're first introduced to the light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, the life that is in Christ. Jesus Christ has life. He is life. It's in him. That life which is in Christ is the light of men. His life is the light of men. And notice here in verse 4, for the first time we come into view. The human race comes into view in verse 4. Verses 1 through 3 all about the Word, verse 4a, the first part, all about the Word. But then at the end, we see mankind coming into the picture that life was the light of men, the very life of Christ, that eternal life. And the message of that eternal life is the light of men, the only light, really. All right, let's go forward now to John chapter 8, verse 12. It talks about the same thing in a slightly different way. The fact that the, the the Word, the life of God was the light to the world. Look at John 8, 12. John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. In the Gospel of John, there are seven statements where Jesus Christ says, I am, followed by, we call it predicate, followed by a specific identification of him. There are also passages where he simply says, I am. We saw that in the introduction. That meant that's a direct declaration that he's God. We saw that because of the Old Testament. I am, I am who I am. When he says, I am, that's essentially him saying, I am God. Okay, but here, I am the light of the world. So in other words, we see that the word was life, And that life was the light of of men. But here we have Jesus. This is something that we'll see in just a little while in chapter 1. Because remember, the question is, who is Jesus? But yet we got introduced to this back in eternity past with the Word. The Word, the revelation in eternity past always existed. And He's God and He came and He created all things. And yet He is called the Word there. And then He's called the life. And then He's called the light. But he's eventually going to be revealed as Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has existed for all of eternity. It is he who created all things. Who is Jesus? He's God. He's God in the flesh. He created all things. He is life and he is light. 
All these things we receive. Again, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. We're going to see light and darkness. We've already seen it in verse 5, and we'll see it again. As a matter of fact, go back to chapter 1, verse 5. This idea of light and darkness. It is a picture of some, of some basics about the world, the human race, God, God interacting, God coming to the human race in the, in the form of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. That's a simple, again, so much of John is simple at the surface, right? Chapter 1, verse 1 are words that really are some of the first words that young people, children believe, right? I mean, learn, not believe, right? The, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Simple, simple, simple words, but profound at the same time. We have the same thing here in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. Now, again, an everyday language, anybody can understand that. You turn on, it's dark in your room, and you turn on the light, and all of a sudden it shines out of the darkness. And yet, it's staying the most profound things. As a matter of fact, you may not see it yet. I'll try to show you that. This is the gospel. The light shines in the darkness. And of course, then it's added here, the darkness did not comprehend it. Again, the tragedy of the human race. The wickedness, really, of the human race. That when the light comes into the world, the world doesn't recognize it. The world doesn't understand it, doesn't grasp it, doesn't lay hold of it. Instead, quite the opposite. As we'll see as we go through the Gospel of John. I've mentioned this already. That as we, as we proceed through the Gospel of John, we will see that there's a small number who believe. And then they're strengthening that belief as they go along and they see the signs. And yet, the overwhelming majority of the Jewish people go in the opposite direction. Especially the leadership. The Jewish establishment. They get more and more filled with unbelief. Filled with rage to the point where they finally... And they say this several times. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. And then finally they did. So you have a few who, who recognize the light, but the majority don't. The majority are exactly hostile to the light. They did not comprehend it. They didn't understand the light. They didn't seize the light, grasp and hold on to it. So again, though, verse 5 is a basic depiction of the gospel. The gospel. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The light, as we'll see, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see what this is about, shining in the darkness. And we'll see that the darkness didn't comprehend it. The light, as we're going to see in just a minute, has to do with the message of eternal life. The light shine in the darkness. The darkness of human hearts without Christ and without God. And yet the darkness did not recognize it. Jesus, the word of life, came and appeared as the light of the world. He is the word. He is life. He's eternal life. He's bringing eternal life. He's bring, God said, I'm coming to this dark world. And I'm bringing life with me. And yet, what happened? He was rejected. Jesus, the word of life, though, he appeared as light for the whole world of lost men and women. And he did that so that he could confront and overcome the darkness of sin and death. He did, that's the gospel. That the light came, Jesus Christ, he came into this world 
Because we were all lost, dead in our sins and trespasses. He came to confront and overcome sin and death. And he did that on the cross. It's the gospel in miniature right here in verse 5. Now again, we see these words, darkness and light. We see that the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Darkness here stands for ignorance. The world was ignorant of him. Didn't know him. Then it stands for rejection of Christ. Darkness, remaining in the darkness means rejecting the light, rejecting Christ, then also rejecting the message. What did, who, what, why did Christ come to bring life? If you reject Christ, it means you are, you have, there is no eternal life. It means the absence of eternal life. That's the darkness. You can see how dark it is. Ignorance is darkness on any level. But ignorance of the Lord is the darkest kind of ignorance. Rejection is negative and dark, but rejection of Christ, it's unbelievable. And then the absence of eternal life, the very thing that Christ came to bring the human race. Now that's darkness, and it's really dark. In fact, it's completely dark. You know, sometimes uh, people read about the darkness, and unfortunately, they want to limit it to people committing sins. But you know what? I don't know if you've ever been in complete darkness. But if you've ever been there for any length of time, you understand that it's, it's total. It envelops you. You have no orientation. There's no light. In other words, this is a description of the unbeliever. This is a description of the unbeliever. He's in the darkness. He's ignorant of the things of the Lord. He's at that point still rejecting and rebelling against Christ. There's no eternal life. Darkness. On the other hand, we have the light. It's the opposite of the darkness. The light here represents Christ. And throughout this this gospel, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It represents Christ. But we saw saw that life was in the word, and that life was the light of men. So, so, So light also represents eternal life. These are building blocks, so make sure you get this. The light is Christ. Eternal life, all right, and the message, the message. In fact, more than anything else, the light is a revelation. The lights come on, and it's a revelation of a message, and that's the message. It's the gospel. Eternal life in Christ, that's ultimately the light, that the light went forth and came into the world. That's why John the Baptist comes on the scene, because he's the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has the message of eternal life, and he's preparing the way for him. This most important message of all, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave the light, his only, one and only son, so that whoever simply believes will have the light forever, eternal life in Christ. That's the light. And then at the end of verse 5, we have this statement. And the darkness did not comprehend it. And darkness did not comprehend it. But that word comprehend in the Greek means to seize. To seize. Did not seize it. Did not seize it. Okay? Did not overcome it. All right? To seize physically means to overcome. Later on in the Gospel of John, this word will be used in the sense of overcome. All right? Take over. um, Wipe out. So forth. Seize. Overcome. But also, it means to seize with the mind, to seize with the mind or to understand. And John, I think, intentionally used this word so that both meanings would come on out of it. 
Right? Darkness didn't overcome the light, cannot, and at the same time, it didn't understand the light. So you can kind of see this total separation between the world and Christ, both in terms of its trying to overcome, reject, but at the, at the same time, not able to even understand the nature of the light. The darkness did not, though, master the light. And that just means, very simply, that darkness cannot prevail against the light. Once the light comes into the world, the darkness has had it, okay? Except for those who want to stay in it, okay? And there are those, many, unfortunately, that want to do that. But darkness itself cannot prevail against the light. Please turn to 1 John chapter 2. We'll see this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. Darkness cannot prevail against the light. In other words, too, that that's something a child can understand. You know, it's, it's dark. It's three or four o'clock in the morning. All is dark. And then the sun rises. And it overcomes the darkness. And darkness has no chance against the light, against the sunrise. The darkness runs away. Same thing in a dark room. You turn the light on. Where's the darkness? It is no more. Darkness cannot prevail against the light. First John 2.8. On the other hand... I am writing a new commandment. That new commandment is to love one another as Christ has loved us. A new commandment to you which is true in him, in Christ, and in you. Why? Because the darkness is passing away. This is still a dark world. It's a very dark world. And it will get darker. We know from the prophets and from the book of Revelation that it's going to get totally dark again. When, when the church is no longer on earth, but in heaven with the Lord... There will be that final time when, we call it the Great Tribulation, when it will be the worst time ever to be on planet Earth. We have descriptions of it that boggle the mind in terms of how horrible it is. And yet through all of that, the darkness is in humans because they get angrier. They don't repent. They rebel more and more against the Lord. And that's the darkness. It's going to be here. It's going to be complete, except that the light will come in a second time. Jesus Christ will return. And when he returns, all will be light. He'll wipe out the darkness once and for all. And then you'll be in the tremendous light of his kingdom. So in the end, light wins. The darkness is passing away. It may take a while. And the true light is already shining. All right, back to John chapter 1, verse 6, please. Back to John chapter 1, verse 6. We're going to continue. There came a man sent from God. You see, John the Baptist is important for no other other reason than he was sent from God. He was sent. God sent him. So he's got to be important. The timing is impeccable. He sent him as a forerunner for the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent him. So therefore, his role is central to to the light appearing in the world. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light. The light is coming. The light is already here. The light is in a person. He testified about the light. Why? So that all might believe through him. That's why. That John would prepare the way. And by by citing the Old Testament scriptures where he was was in the the role of Elijah. Right? The, The light is coming. The Lord is coming. To prepare a way for him. So that all might believe in the Lord through him. That was his mission. 
Now, he didn't fulfill it. Well, he did fulfill his call. But, of course, all don't believe. But that was still the purpose of John's coming. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. And by the way, that's true of all of us in terms of our basic call as Christians. We're not the light either. You know, don't get the wrong idea. Because we're in Christ and because we're children of God doesn't make us the word, doesn't make us God. We'll never be God, contrary to what the Mormons teach. But we are a witness. We, we all test can testify about the light. What's the light? The message of eternal life in Christ. We all have that. It's called the gospel. It's called the fact that the message that we're all born sinners and that Christ, the Son of God, in the flesh, went to the cross and died for our sins and was buried. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead so that whoever believes will never perish, never be in the darkness again, but have eternal life, the light. We all have that message now. We all can testify about the light. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. John was sent by God to testify about the light. Now, if you, if, you, if you study the Gospels, you will see that the ministry of John the Baptist marks the beginning of Christ's public ministry. If you want to say, want to say when did Christ's public ministry begin, it's the ministry of John the Baptist is the marker. Because he comes on the scene and, and he's preparing, he's saying, repent, be baptized for the purpose of recognizing the Lord when he comes. And then when he comes, there's this great exchange where John turns to his disciples and says, this is the one I've been telling you about. Follow him. He must increase. I must decrease. See, John is fundamental to the whole coming of the light. He's important. We don't realize. But the very fact that he's in all four Gospels should tell us something. He marks, his ministry marks the beginning of Christ's public ministry. It's in all four Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and also in the book of Acts. Again and again and again, they'll say from the beginning of John's ministry and then throughout Jesus' public ministry. It's a very important element, event, activity that preceded Jesus Christ's public ministry. I'd like you to see this in the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark. Please turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. John 1, 1. The ministry of John the Baptist. We saw that his, his mother was a relative of Jesus' mother. His, his birth was celebrated and it was a miracle because his mother was too old to conceive and yet she did. It was a miracle. It wasn't quite the miracle of Jesus' birth because he, he was born of a virgin. Now that's Totally miraculous. But, but the birth of John the Baptist was of the same order of the, of the birth of Isaac in the Old Testament. Because Sarah was beyond the years for conceiving also. So he's tremendously important. His, his, he was the forerunner even in birth. And he remains that. Look at Mark chapter 1 verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And notice the beginning. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet... Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Isaiah is prophesizing the fact, this is Isaiah's words. Now Mark is adopting them to to, to talk about the ministry of John the Baptist. 
But Isaiah saw forward and he saw that there would be a messenger that would come ahead of the Lord, preparing the way of the Lord. It would be a voice crying in the wilderness. John's ministry was in the wilderness, right? He ate, he ate bugs and grasshoppers and honey. He was in the wilderness. He, he was very, um, he was a dangerous guy, by the way, you know, in the sense that he had a dangerous message. And, and a lot of people rejected that. The Pharisees and the elders from the very beginning understood that what he was saying, and they ran from it. Why? Because they didn't want to face the fact that they haven't been at all faithful to the scriptures. They were in leadership. They were leading the people astray. And now there's a reckoning because the, the light is coming. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. This is all, of course, Old Testament prophecy. This is all directed to the nation of Israel. And in, by the way, in Matthew and Mark and in Luke, John the Baptist is presented this way, that he's preparing the way for the Lord, that he's making a way for the Lord, that he's trying to turn the hearts of the people back to the Lord, back to one another. Now in John, though, his role is slightly different. In John, the gospel now, John the Baptist is a witness for Christ, identifying who he is, and it's specifically, explicitly for the nation of Israel. People don't always uh, look at these scriptures and understand what they're really saying. When John was baptizing, he was baptizing in water so that people, the nation of Israel, would recognize the Lord Jesus Christ when he came. That was the purpose of water baptism. That's something that I think we overlook a lot. But it it was a sign given to the nation of Israel that their Lord was coming and the identity is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see that. Please turn to John chapter 1, verse 31. John chapter 1, verse 31. John was the witness for Christ to Israel. To Israel. Why to Israel? Well, because again, Israel had all the advantages necessary to recognize the Messiah when the Messiah came. And and the Lord's heartbeat throughout the Old Testament would be that his people would, would recognize the Messiah when he came and repent and turn to the Lord and the kingdom would come. And so, so that he first comes to Israel. It's so important to understand. And if the, if the establishment, if the Jewish people had embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom would have come right then. And so it's very important what John does. Look at John chapter 1 verse 31. I did not recognize him, but so that purpose, so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Why did John come baptizing in water? So that the Lord Jesus, the light of the world, would be manifested, shown to Israel. To Israel. Back to John verse, chapter 1, verse 7 now. John chapter 1, verse 7. In John, he's the witness for Christ to Israel. Back to John chapter 1, verse 7. He came as a witness. The word of God is alive and powerful. And it says here that John the Baptist, verse 7, came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Notice here we have the light that shines in the darkness 
and, the, and humans who believe in him. He's the light of men. Not all believe in him, but that was the reason. That was the purpose. That's why John came. He was not the light. John Baptist was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And he testified about the light so that all might believe through his witness. But people don't automatically receive the light. They can refuse to believe in the light. Another tragedy. It's one thing to understand that that when he came, he was rejected by the world, rejected by his people. But when he's revealed to be who he is, people can still reject him. We see that going on all the time now. I mean, especially in our country. It's, it's little, maybe perhaps the message is a little dimmer. Not as many people proclaiming it, yet still, I would rather be in the United States than any country in the world. And I'm not talking about prosperity or freedom. I'm talking about the proclamation of the gospel. And yet, there are few who actually believe. That's the message that we need to also be con- concentrating on. That this is, a, this is a, a great accomplishment. This is wonderful news. But there's a whole group of people for whom it just illuminates the tragedy of, of who they are and who they want to remain. They can refuse to believe in the light. Well, it says, it says here that John the Baptist came as a witness to testify. And it turns out, and we'll see this, that witnesses, testimony, play a crucial role in the Gospel of John. After all, remember the purpose. Keep going back to John chapter 20, verse 31. These signs... We can put the word in witnesses, testimony, have been given so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. That's the fundamental purpose. Well, well, what does it start with? It starts with testimony. It starts with the witness. It turns out that there are over a dozen, over a dozen witnesses identified in the Gospel of John. We'll see that. We're going to see five of them in just a moment. So in other words, this is John brings witnesses to the table. He doesn't just say, he says it at the beginning, the word was God, but then he brings witness after witness after witness to that. Witnesses to us, to the reader, to the nation of Israel in its day, that this is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Witnesses are very important in the Gospel of John. I'd like you to see that with me now. Please turn to John chapter 5, verse 31. John chapter 5, verse 31. This is, this is a very concentrated passage where we get five witnesses in a row. And I want you to see the credibility of the witnesses, the impeccability of the witness, the clear meaning. Remember, a sign is something that's miraculous, but it also testifies to something greater than itself. That's what its purpose Ultimately, is. So, so there are testimony and witnesses that are not miraculous. Not at all. For example, we'll get this in chapter 4. When Jesus came to the Samaritan woman at the well, he didn't perform a miracle. And yet she believed. And then the, based on the people spending a couple of days with Jesus, the whole place, Sychar, the city, believed. Not because of a miracle in that case. Because of the word. Because of the testimony. Without a miracle. Okay. John 5, 31. Jesus now, he's talking, and he's saying, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. This is a hypothetical, because of course his testimony is true. But what he's saying, and he's talking to the Jewish people who have a frame of mind in a court trial that there have to be two witnesses. 
That's what he's saying here. Of course Jesus' testimony is true, but he's saying, I understand you're thinking that there have to be two. He says, well, there are at least two. Notice, there is another who also testifies of me. And I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Now, he is talking about his father. We'll we'll see that in a moment. Look at verse 33. Here we are, back in chapter 1, verses 68. You have sent to John. Remember in the gospel, well, not remember, we'll see it, that the Pharisees came and sent people to John and asked, who are you? And he said, I'm not the Christ. But he's testified to the truth. You have sent to John. He testified about me. John is another witness providing testimony for the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things, why? Right back to the same purpose of the whole gospel. So that you may be saved. The words of Christ are a witness so that people may be saved. And he talks about John. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So we have the Father, John the Baptist, Jesus' words. Look at verse 36 now. Go forward to verse 36. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. What is he talking about? For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, what? Testify about me, that the Father has sent me. All of the works of Christ are a testimony to the identity of Christ as the Son of God. That's the purpose of them. They mark something greater than themselves. That's what testimony is all about in the case of Jesus Christ. It's a witness to who he really is. Who is Jesus? Look at the testimony. Look at the witness and you'll see who he is. He's the Son of God, the Christ. The works that Jesus does, you know, identify him, qualify him as the Messiah and the Son of God. The the works which he performed, these include, of course, the seven miraculous signs in the Gospel of John that all point to the fact that this is God's Son. He is the light of the world. He is the Messiah. All right? The works that he does testifies about him that the Father has sent me. Now, notice verse 37. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. Think about this as as a court case to prove that Jesus is God. All right? Who's the first witness? The words of Christ. Who's the second witness? John the Baptist. Very credible, by the way. Who's the third witness? The works that Jesus does. Again, very credible, very clear. Only God's Son can raise a man from the dead who's been dead four days. So that's a clear witness right there. The Father who has sent me, he's testified. Think about it. God the Father testifies that that Jesus Christ is God. Now, really, there's no better testimony than that when you think about it. When God the Father, who, all, who was recognized as God, turns around and says, yes, this Jesus is my son, and he also is God. That's powerful testimony, irrefutable. And then there's more. Look at verse 39. Look at verse 39. You, now he's talking to the Jewish establishment here. And he knows this is true about them. He says, you search the scriptures. But they, you know what? They, at that point, they never were searching for the scriptures with an open heart. They were searching for the scriptures to try to argue with somebody, disprove somebody else, or to put somebody under the bondage of their version of the law, which was far more restrictive than what God had provided. So they weren't going there 
you know, with a heart that says, I want to find out who, who the Lord is. No, you search the scriptures because you think it in them you have eternal life. See, they thought that by following the law, they would have eternal life. But what does he say? You know, you, know, you missed the point. The scriptures testify about me. And here I am. Not about you keeping the law, but about me, who I am. By the way, he would, he would stick it to him and make this message again and again because so many of his miracles he intentionally performed on the Sabbath, making a statement, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. See, that Sabbath was something that was given to you to understand actually the goodness of the Lord, that he wanted you to rest one day a week. He says, I am God in the flesh. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I want you to rest in your hearts always, always resting assured that you have salvation, eternal life. All right. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's these who testify about me and you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. There we have it. The gospel of John is really simple, isn't it? Witness, testimony, person of Christ, life. Then finally, look at verse 45. One more witness that we have here. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. In other words, you thought you were going to bring a witness to the table now called Moses, and he was going to speak on behalf of the leaders of Israel and say, you're doing it right. The way you interpret the law is correct. The Pharisees understand. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's the opposite. Moses himself will accuse you of not recognizing the Lord, the Messiah, when he came. Verse 46, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Notice this, incredible. He, Moses, wrote about me. What does that mean? It means Jesus is the Lord of the Old Testament. When Moses wrote about the Lord, he was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Incredible testimony when you think about it. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In other words, the very... The very scriptures that they clung to were actually testifying another witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's go back to John now. Chapter 1, verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9. We're done now with John the Baptist. For now. But in this prologue, where we had the word and who the word is, Life and light, the creator, God. And then we have this movement forward. It's movement forward because now the light is coming on the scene and the one who would be the testimony, the first witness to the light is John the Baptist. And remember, the light, the light came so that men would know, right? Would know about life. All right. Look at verse 9 now. John 1, 9. There was the true light, but notice which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. Now, in verse 9, the true means the genuine, the ultimate, the ultimate light, the genuine light, the light comes into the world. What does it mean? What does it mean that the genuine light came into the world. This is talking about the incarnation. This is talking about God in the Son, the Word of God, who has existed for all of eternity, the Creator, the life, the light, now coming into this world, coming into this world. That's talking about the incarnation. 
That is talking about what we'll see in verse 14. A little pun here. This will be fleshed out in verse 14, where the word became flesh. That's what this is talking about. The word, the true light, became flesh and dwelt among us, came into the world, and we saw his glory enlightens every man. You see, there are parallel verses here. Verse 14 is a further explanation of what's, what John is writing in verse 9. In verse 9 he says, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Verse 14 says, The Word, who is the light, we already know that, became flesh and dwelt among us, came into this world, and we saw his glory. He enlightens every man. Now it's interesting, the we here will of course be the apostles, first and foremost. Because they first witnessed his glory. And enlightens every man suggests that not every man sees the glory, by the way. I want you to think about that. How sad it is that Jesus Christ revealed himself as the glory of God. And it's in, it's in all those testimonies, including his words and his works and John the Baptist. And yet, there were people who rejected that message. There were people who did not recognize, did not see the glory. They didn't have eyes to see. Now it says that Christ gives light for every man. Every man. Again, back in John chapter 1, well, you're still there. This, the light, the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Christ gives the light intended for every man. God is not willing that any should perish. Jesus Christ is, is, is our Savior and the Savior of the world, of all Meant for all. Meant for all. By the way, Jesus Christ died for everybody. Whether they believe him or not. He came. That all may have life. Christ gives light to every man. Yet most, most remain blind. Because that's the only way, if you think about it, there's only two ways that you can't see the light. One is that you're blind. And the other is you stay in the darkness. And that was the problem. That is the problem with most of the people. The unbelievers in this world, the very word world we'll see means that. The unbelievers, okay, they don't see him because they remain blind. They hide in the darkness. The world. He is the light which coming into the world. What's the world here? It's not the planet. You see, there's, you might think, well, the light comes into the world. That kind of sounds like the earth and the light shining. No, remember, it's representative of the fact that Christ is the true light and the world is the realm of the unbeliever, the realm of human beings and affairs, because it's both. It's how the world works, so to speak, right? The ways of the world, that's the ways of people. The ways of the world, when we use that expression, does not mean, oh, you know, the earth turns on its axis. and That's not the ways of the world. It's the human affairs, all right? In rebellion, this is why it's darkness, in rebellion against its very maker. But not only that, we'll see this later, it's under the rulership of somebody else, the rulership of Satan. Satan has blinded the hearts of unbelievers so they may not see the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, the human race in darkness has help in staying in the darkness, has help remaining blind. That help, of course, in quotes, comes from Satan and the, and, and the fallen angels. And the flesh. They're all, they're all factors that contribute to the blindness. I say that so that you understand also the true miracle of someone seeing the light. 
Despite this, be, this world being under the rulership of Satan. Despite being born dead in your trespasses and sins. Destroy, dis, despite being of the flesh. Despite the fact that the entire world system is set up so that people won't see Christ and believe in him. If you don't believe that, well then you're not paying attention. And you haven't been. Because if you look at all of the elements of this world, the human affairs, they're all meant to keep us blind. Don't be looking at the gospel. That's not important. That's those Christians, you know, those crazy Christians that you want nothing to do with, you know. That's what the world says. I mean, just look at, it's getting more and more obvious if you look at all of the media, if you look at the, the, the real leadership of this country, if you look at the, the business world, Wall Street, Anywhere you want to go, that's the world, the establishment, the human affairs, the place to be, how the world really works. All of it is anti-Christ. Not the anti-Christ, but against Christ. The world, under the rulership of Satan. I want you to turn to John chapter 7, verse 7. Great description of the world. In John chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus is speaking to his brothers, not his disciples, but his literal brothers. Mary had other children. I had to really get over that hump when I, when I converted from Catholicism to evangelical Christianity. She didn't remain a virgin. She was a virgin at the time she gave birth to Jesus. But it's clear from the scriptures that he had brothers and sisters. In any event, he's talking to his brothers who at this point don't believe in him. By the way, the very writer of the book of James, half I say half-brother because, you know, Jesus didn't have Joseph as a biological dad. But James, who wrote the book of James, remained an unbeliever throughout the public ministry of Christ. And it's only after Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his brother that he finally believed. And so it's pretty clear that none of the brothers believed in him until after the resurrection. That's true of a lot of people, of course, which is why the resurrection is a critical, don't leave out, don't ever leave out the resurrection when you preach the gospel. It's so, so important. The world, he's talking to his brothers who are unbelievers. The world can't hate you. The world doesn't hate its own, right? The world celebrates its own. I mean, I don't know. I I haven't been um, on the cover of People magazine, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) But who is? The world loves its own. You know, that's why uh, people get disturbed when I say this. But you've got to be careful about any preacher who's on television. Why? Because the world celebrates its own. They're not going to let somebody on who's going to be preaching the gospel and convicting the world. No way. They're going to have somebody that's all flowers and light. Crystal cathedrals with doves flying around. Because that's the world's idea of what they want. They're not going to show the truth about Christ. The world can't hate you, unbeliever, but it hates me. hates Jesus. Why? Because I testify of it. I put the mirror up to it. I show that its deeds are evil. What does that? What's the best disinfectant? Light. <laughs> put a light on it. Put a light that shines on it. You never, have you ever seen, you ever turned a, a light on when there's cockroaches in the room? It's a little gross, but have you, you know what I'm talking about? You turn the light on. What do the cockroaches do? They say, oh, I celebrate the light. No, they like scatter. That's the world. The Lord testifies of it. The light, because its deeds are evil. The coming of the light. But here's the truth. The coming of the light lays bare the hearts of men. You know, people try to hide who they really are. People try to pretend 
that they're righteous. People, people try to pretend by being religious and so forth. But in their hearts, right, the Lord would say this to Isaiah. He says, outside when you're doing all of these things, you look great. But on the inside, I know who you really are. That you really don't believe in me. You're really in rebellion in your heart. He would say the same thing about the Pharisees. Outside, you look great. Like, but inside, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You're dead. All right. Slaves bear the hearts of men. Every man. So when it says the world, with the light coming into the world enlightens every man, that is not just positive. As a matter of fact, for most people, for all people until we believe, it's very negative. He, when he enlightens every man, he shows us all who we really are. Right? He, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of what? Sin. The light reveals the fact that we're sinners. Righteousness. The light reveals the fact that there are none righteous, not even one. And judgment. The light is a message. It forces a choice. It says there will be a judgment. You've got to make a choice now. The light is here. The light is on. You can't hide. You have a choice to make. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Don't believe in the Lord Jesus and the wrath of God remains on you. That's the light also. Please, as a matter of fact, please turn as we close to John chapter, whoops, not that one, that one. John chapter 3, verse 19. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is also the light. We celebrate the light because it means that the Lord has come into the world and he's come with the message of eternal life. Whoever believes that celebrates the light. It's a good thing that the light has come. Whoever doesn't believe, it's a, it's for them, it's a bad thing, if I could put it that way. Because they had a, now they have the choice. They can actually have no excuses anymore. When Jesus is revealed as the source of eternal life, then a person has no excuses anymore. They've got to make a choice. They can't be fence straddlers any longer. You can do that when you're in the darkness. But when the light comes, you have a choice. Do you remain blind? Do you remain in the darkness? Or do you step out into the light and accept who you really are, a sinner lost in trespasses and sins, needing a savior? And now the light has the message that will take you from darkness to the light, meaning from the world of sin and death to the world of life, eternal life and righteousness. Look at John 3.19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. But notice this. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. You ever notice that many of the worst crimes occur at night? That's true, right? It's also indicative of how our hearts work. When we have deeds that are evil, we want to stay in the darkness. That's the whole human race. It's only by people turning the light, believing in the light. That any of that changes. Verse 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Does evil doesn't mean just sinning. It means full force in the evil of rejecting the Lord. Of of reveling in your sins. Okay? They don't want to come to the light. They know what that means. But notice verse 21. He who practices the truth comes to the light. He who is honest about himself and realizes that he or she is a sinner, and needs salvation, comes to the source of eternal life, the light of Christ. He who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds now may be manifested as having been wrought in God. And that's the truth of every believer. 
the Lord has is now. It's so amazing when you look at uh, and you look at the gospel in Ephesians. He says, you know, um, by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works that anyone should boast. But then the very next word, the very next verse, talks about the fact that God has prepared works that you may walk in them. There's a huge difference between being in the darkness and being in the light. There's works on both sides. These works are meaningless. These works are meaningful. All right. So basically, this is where we'll close. Very simple. Again, the Gospel of John is simple. Believe in the light, the message of eternal life, and you'll receive life. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Unfortunately, refuse to believe in the light. No fence straddlers now. You've got to make a choice. You'll receive judgment. One more verse, because it says this particularly well. Just go forward to John chapter 3, verse 36. And this is where we'll close. John 3, 36. Pretty straightforward. This is also the gospel, by the way. The light does both. Shines a light on our sinfulness, brings us the truth of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. How simple is that? He who believes in the Son has eternal life. That's the message. Rejoice in that message. Rejoice that you've seen it and and believed in the Lord. You know what this means. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, there's darkness and there's light. People can choose to remain blind. But they have to make a choice. They have to now recognize that they do decide that they're going to stay in the darkness. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who doesn't obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. There's never been a choice more fundamental than that. Every human being, remember, the light enlightens everybody. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Father, today for just clarifying things as the light always does in our hearts. Father, if there's anyone here who hasn't believed, we ask today that the Holy Spirit would convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment, but then to bring on the good news that though we are sinners, dead in our sins, Christ came, Christ God in the flesh, went to the cross, died for our sins. He took on the darkness, our darkness, by dying for our sins. He was buried in the dark tomb, and then he was, he was raised from the dead. You raised him from the dead on the third day. And all this person has to do is just believe that good news and never perish but have eternal life. And Father, as we leave today, we would just ask that you would strengthen us and allow us to understand clearly what the message is here, to understand who Jesus is, understand the stakes that are involved for every man, and to preach boldly the good news, the gospel. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. A couple of reminders, and we'll, we'll get you out of here. First of all, we have a Bible study. It's every Thursday. Because of COVID, we do it online. We do it on Skype these days. Okay? That allows everybody to participate. Uh, there's a lot of people that, um, for health reasons or whatever, cannot be here. And particularly for them, we want to put this on Skype so that everybody can participate. So at 6.30, you can get the information on our website. At the end of that, we have a prayer meeting together. A very meaningful time. Also want to just tell you about our giving policy. All right. Now, those are the ways you can give. We have a box in the back, envelope, website. But you know what? We don't pass around. We don't 
collect. We don't have a collection. That's intentional. Why? Because it's supposed to be something that's free of any kind of coercion. Any kind. Right? Tithing is coercion. Thou shalt, that's law, if you think about it. Thou shalt give 10%. Tithing is an Old Testament. It's a, it's a way in which the Lord set things up to support the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel, all right? That's not Christian giving. We're to, we're to give with a joyous heart, out of gratitude, knowing, believing that God will provide everything that we need to be generous. That's how we give as Christians, all right? Let's close in prayer. Oh, by the way, before we do that, I do want to mention one other thing, and that is that if you have any questions, all right, I welcome emails. All right, I welcome emails. I'm here for you. If you have questions, it could be about the message today or the gospel, really anything about God's word, always feel free to email me. Pastor at lbible.org. All right, let's close. Father, as we leave today, we would just ask, Father, that, that we would see and be so grateful for your salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins. And in that gratitude, Father, we would be generous, first of all, in our hearts of forgiving. Generous, Father, in realizing that we, we have the most important message ever uttered that we can give to others. Generous, Father, and grateful that we would forgive others. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Enjoy this day. Please try to join us on Thursday on Skype at 6.30 if you possibly can.